Howard Lindzen is the founder and general partner at Social Leverage. All opinions expressed by Howard and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of Social Leverage or StockTwits. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for decisions. Guests may maintain positions and securities discussed in this podcast. Yo, Nikita. Howdy, howdy. Knut. Hey. Howdy and hey. Welcome. Thank you. Guess what day it is. <laughs> yeah, we <laughs> yeah, don't tell people. I was trying to trick her. Uh-huh. The, uh, there is no time. We are in a timeless <laughs> vortex here in the podcast studio. Knut, you whipped up another podcast studio. Great job. We Thank move you. every week, correct? <laughs> <laughs> it's like we're drug dealers, yeah. except we're dealing in un- underfollowed podcasts. Yeah. We well, have no studio, will travel. That's what happens when you don't pay your bills. <laughs> so what do you think of Nikita now that you've met her? Oh, I think Nikita's great. She's taller yeah. than I thought. <laughs> she is taller than I thought, too. Yeah. The, Thanks, guys. Uh, are we as, as good looking in person as we looked online? Yes. I'm so impressed. Oh. <laughs> yeah. That's what I've been working out. I knew Nikita was coming to town. And I needed to put a good face forward for the brand. Thanks, Howard. So we have a great friend, venture capitalist, on. It'll be our first four-time guest because he's just been right so often. We keep bringing back the people are right, which he's doomed mm-hmm. to fail eventually, and then we'll pound him into submission, and we'll just play back the one he's been wrong about. That's what we do here. We're looking to finally shame people. <laughs> but Jeff just keeps picking winners, and no one likes winners more than Howie. So, you know, we brought Jeff Richards back on. It's a summer. He was on very early during, you know, maybe in our first 10 episodes is one of my favorite thinkers. And he was super bullish when everybody was bearish. And I was form fitting to tell people that March of last year was a great time to buy. That was the idea of the show. Here we are now heading into the summer of 2021 and the world is a different place. And so Jeff's been on every quarter or so walking us through how he's thinking about the world at GGV. We've had... I think pretty much all the partners on from GGV, they're on a hot streak. Even I can't wreck it. And so he keeps coming on. <laughs> they can't, they can't be cooled. They're on a heater uh, and they have no, they have no ego. And so good things continue to happen to people who keep the ego out of it and just keep doing the work. Nikita's new to the VC business. So it's a treat for you probably to get to talk to Jeff. Yeah. So you can chime in with questions as you want. I've actually listened to pretty much all of them. So yes, it's very you are cool. a good fan of the podcast. Yes. And what's different now that you are in the VC business versus the banking side? What do, what do you like about your day? What's different about working inside a firm versus working inside an institution? I think the biggest difference is thinking about risk. You know, coming from the public equity world, you're taught to be super skeptical. And, uh, you know, you shut down ideas based on skepticism and you don't even actually think about it. Whereas I think on the VC side, especially we are on the seed stage side, you know, I'm really learning, like I'm putting on a different lens and I, you know, I listen to you during pitches and I see that the questions you ask in terms of evaluating that risk reward, um, it's very interesting. Yeah, we assume things are gonna work and then try and go, what could go wrong? Whereas banks just won't even take the call. They assume that's a bad idea. Exactly. It's just the complete opposite. Yeah. And then I got to like remind founders, yes, I'm assuming you're right, but it's still not going to work. <laughs> that's why we're not investing. But uh, hopefully we didn't beat you up too badly. So Jeff, is, they're doing, GGV does much later stage stuff. They do it globally. But I really wanted to check in as the world opens, see how they're now thinking about tech and growth. And the growth stuff that we uh, that Jeff called at the bottom and is up four, five, six, seven hundred percent. Obviously, cannot continue at this pace. There's been a lot of pullbacks, some severe, but others not so severe. And so, you know, what does growth look like? You know, now that everything might have been priced in, and they're kind of investing around the world, so it'll be fun to check in. You got it. Yep. Yep. So let's get uh, Jeff on the phone. Sounds good. Jeff Richards. Howard, how are you? Good. Where are you today? I am in beautiful Pleasanton, California, about 30 miles south and east of uh, San Francisco. It's 75 degrees and it's beautiful. Awesome. Um, You first came on in March. We are now a year. Are you vaccinated? I am fully vaccinated. 
as are my wife and my two oldest daughters. So uh, I'm a big believer in getting everybody vaccinated. And actually, while a lot of critiques for the way California has handled its school system throughout the pandemic, we've actually been very forward on on vaccines and very high rates of adoption here in California. It's been great. It's uh, very few cases, you know, for example, where I live, uh, very few cases in the last month or two. Yeah, their cases are here in Phoenix, even though the vaccine is here and it was here early and pretty open. The case is still kind of coming. I hear we had some friends today that said the whole house was locked down with COVID. So it's mm. still around. Uh, Phoenix is a little bit lucky or weather or we don't know. But like vaccines early, I got vaccinated. So we've been out and about and I've been traveling. So it's been you know lucky for me here in Phoenix. So it's nice to see that, that California is coming out of it. I've got uh, new, someone new to the VC business listening in, hosting with me, Nikita, who you, who you met briefly, and uh, obviously Knut, who really, I think, probably looks like he's aged the most since COVID. <laughs> it's really amazing. Like, I, I see Jeff and I go, wow, he looks younger. Maybe because you've had good picks. Knut just looks a little bit more tired. It's not like he, it was any harder for you, Knut. So we've been doing this a little more than a year, right? Right. Well, there it is. Yeah. <laughs> so, and you've moved studios more than any human being. Know, right? It's like dog right? years. In a pandemic, you age seven years. Oh, my Lord. Knut looks, like he's 80. Yeah. Knut looks as old as Bill Gates at this point. <laughs> Did you see a picture of Bill Gates? Oh, he's the 90-year-old, 50-year-old. Have you met Bill, Jeff? I have not met Bill, but I, yeah, I, I the turnaround on Bill Gates' brand in the last few weeks Holy. has been amazing. Somebody tweeted out today, there must be some sort of coordinated oppo research going on because I, I personally think Bill and Melinda Gates, I mean, if you just look at what they've done with the Gates Foundation, it's Why incredible. Why bother them, right? Like the news is out. I know, I, and I just hope they've inspired other multi-billionaires to do the same thing, hire great people, give away money, make changes in the world. I mean, they've, they've basically eradicated single-handedly eradicated malaria. Yeah. They do the opposite. I don't hire good people. Well, Nikita may prove that wrong. (laughs) I don't give money away. I hoard it. And I've caused more malaria than I've helped cure. So I'm, I'm the unbill Gates. (laughs) <laughs> People's to say, but I do look more fit than that guy. I know, at least you look younger. Go for a run, Bill. Just break a sweat at some point, Bill, and I'll leave you alone. So um, the world looks so much different than when we talked in March. The world was panicked. That was the idea for the show. You were a calm hand. GGV's had a hot hand through this, but a hot hand before as well. Now, interest rates, inflation, new government, mm-hmm. uh Valuations much higher, new tech, new trends, crypto, uh, anti-China. I mean, oh my God, since March of last year and vaccine and like some amazing things. Obviously, you guys are paid to imagine this world. What happens next? Like, what's the biggest thing (laughs) that GGV is thinking about? That, or is it just more of the same? Like, I'm obviously cloud, cloud, cloud. I mean, we're not going to get, obviously, you believe in that. But, like, what could surprise people going forward? You know, it's, it's, a, it's, a, I remember that conversation that you and I had because it was, I believe it was literally the bottom. It might have been the low point. It might have yeah. been the bottom. Yeah. And, um, you know, what was so interesting for me was I, I was in Silicon Valley in when 9 11 happened. And I was in Silicon Valley in 2008, 2009 when we had the financial crisis. And I remember waking up in the morning and watching CNBC and, you know, just things would just go down and down and down. And, you know, people would say, oh, I'm buying the dip. And then it would go down another 10%. I'm buying the dip and they get crushed again. And, but then we've had this incredible run, you know, this incredible 10, 11 year bull market run. And so I think for me, what was fun about that conversation was it was a very calm moment because it was like, hey, I've seen this movie before. We've seen this movie before. If you've been in Silicon Valley and you believe in the underlying trends, you know things are going to get better. We didn't know whether it was going to be 90 days or three years. Um, I think the one advantage we had, obviously, was being a global firm. We saw that China was already bouncing back. You know, Japan, Korea, Singapore, China all dealt with uh, coronavirus in a fairly aggressive way. And we're already bouncing back in the, you know, April, May, June timeframe. I mean, my colleagues in Asia were back in the office in the summer of last year. Right. So we had a little bit of a benefit there that we could see that if handled correctly, things would get better. Now you could argue we didn't we didn't handle it very well, but um, we all, we all kind of knew at some point things would get better, and so that that time was a good time to be investing. I agree with you. It's much harder to be investing right now. 
uh, I've had a lot of folks, you know, ask me for investment ideas. And I said, you know, that was a moment in time, kind of a historic moment in time where you could almost throw a dart at the, dart at the wall. Correct. Anything related to cloud, digital payments, e-commerce, and, and you're, you were going to do fairly well. Um, you know, we've had a big pullback in high growth tech over the last 90 days. But nothing's That's cheap. impacted us. Nothing's cheap. But if you just look at, I've got the metrics in front of me. If you just look at the SaaS multiples today, the high growth uh, high growth South is, is at 44 times sales, which is crazy. The mid growth is at 10. Hmm. And if you look at the historical averages, mid growth, average of all software right now is 10.9x uh, forward revenue. The average post 2014 is 6.7x and the average pre 2014 is 3.2x. So we're still at a, at a historic all-time high in terms of the next 12 months revenue. Having said that, we're also seeing companies just dramatically outperform on a consistent basis. So, you know, one of my favorite names, which you and I talked about in March of last year is Twilio, an incredible company mm-hmm. what, run by an incredible CEO, a great stock to own if you believe in mobile as the rise of mobile. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you look at Twilio knocking out earnings, 62% growth. And yet the stock is trading below where it was on January 1st. So yeah. it's at 324. It was at 334 on January 1st. So we've seen really good earnings out of high growth tech companies, in most cases, beating their numbers. And yet the stocks have pulled back 20, 30, 40% in just the last 45 days. Mm-hmm. So if you have a really long-term perspective, three to five plus years, I think you could say there are some buying opportunities, but it's been it's been pretty painful for those of us who are over-indexed to high growth tech. I mean, I... And like I said, we were joking that you see me playing golf. I refuse to just work to work, right? I refuse to get pitch after pitch in ideas that seem old and not as exciting as they were to me in 2017, 18, 19, especially March of 2020. <laughs> so I play, right? Like I'm, I'm, my eyes are open and I'm open to stuff, but prices are high. Everything feels me too. I'm at a lack. I'm trying to be inspired. <laughs> So it's good to hear that it's not just me because I I feel like this is just a rolling I call them tiny bubbles that are just rolled through the market, but it hasn't created any like you may never see March twenty twenty type pandemic panic levels again, VIX ninety, et cetera, right when we were talking. But I'd like to see right, like you're saying, we're still at ten point nine time sales median. Yeah. And, you know, it's hard to get back up the truck. At that, in a world where it's pricing in, the, the world's going to open up and kumbaya. So, what do you do during times like this? Like, obviously, you got to help the companies you're in. Are you as aggressively putting money yeah. to work? Or, oh yeah, no, for sure. We, we, in fact, last year was our we invested the most money last year we've ever invested as a firm, and and we'll top that this year. No, I'm super bullish on the long term. I mean, if you follow me on Twitter, you know yeah. I'm going long. I'm bullish on the long term for yeah. tech. Yeah, we go long and, and we also have not, we've seen, we continue to see very strong demand, whether it's e-commerce, telemedicine, cloud. I mean, we're not seeing any, and I, again, I was here for the financial crisis. I was here for 9-11. When those hit, you saw demand drop pretty dramatically. Uh, and we saw d- demand drop in the enterprise tech space in Q2 of last year, just because people were trying to figure out how do I actually buy technology when I'm not in the office? But we saw a rebound pretty aggressively in Q3 and Q4. And I would say, you know, I would say the majority, maybe even as high as 80 or 90% of our companies hit their plan for last year, their original plan, despite having some real challenges in Q2. So that that was a real positive. I, I guess I would point to a couple of bright spots. One, no, we don't see any stopping for cloud uh, around developers, open source, kind of infrastructure, security, all the things that are going to, you know, the, the companies of the future are going to be built on, whether it's banking or e-commerce or tele, you know, any of these categories that are all betting on tech, even the auto industry, which is becoming a tech sure. industry, all of the infrastructure companies continue to do well. And in the public side, it's companies like Snowflake and Datadog and Twilio. On the private side, there's companies like HashiCorp and Databricks and others that are just continuing to, to do extremely well. And so we're really bullish there. We're continuing to fund companies there. And, and a lot of those companies are the ones you're seeing raise you know, five, 10 million of ARR, they're raising at a billion dollar valuation. And those valuations look insane until you peel back the onion and realize that their predecessors are trading at 30, 40, 50. Uh, so there is, a, there is a little bit of a method to the madness. And we continue to be really bullish there. I would say fintech. I mean, you're, you're obviously, you guys are, have been very aggressive in investing in fintech. You're in Robinhood and eToro and some other great companies. We continue to see 
amazing innovation in that space. And it's a, it's a, that's a global phenomenon. One of the things we love about that category is it's global. You've got literally billions of users around the world Correct. who are coming into the fintech economy. I think sometimes in the US people, we get myopic and think, oh, there's 330 million people in the US. There's 7 billion people around the world. Many of them have never had a bank account. They've never had a credit card. They've never had a mortgage. They've never bought and sold a stock. And so I think that space, you know, which I would include crypto, what's really exciting to me is think about a couple billion people around the world coming into that economy for the first time and just the size and scope and scale. I think when we did the March podcast, I said, you know, be long Square, be long PayPal, be long Adyen. Those have all done extremely well over the last year. And I think a lot of folks would say they're going to do well for the next five to 10 years. So those are two categories I would just like infrastructure demand is off the charts. And I don't know how you could possibly argue it won't be for the next five plus years. And then the same thing in, in fintech and, and payments. I mean, are people going to spend more money in digital payments in five years than they are today? Mm-hmm. 100%. Who benefits from that? Obviously, Apple benefits, but so does Adyen, so does Square, so does PayPal. And then you'll have some newly public companies you can bet on as well. Yeah, I think infrastructure fintech. I mean, what's hard for me, because we're a smaller firm, Nikita's like our first hire, and then we, we hired somebody in New York, so there'll be five of us, but we were three for such a long time, and the puck's moving, right? You're a big enough firm, and you've been around the world, and you've done this long enough that you are committed to going to where the puck is. I, and the other hand, <laughs> have one trick, and it's almost played out, and... Um, <laughs> I'm trying to find inspiration by talking to people who are floating around the world and have, you know, tapped into that. I mean, people have to, you know, fight within their weight class and be honest with themselves about how the, how the game is played and not chase things around. I am seeing what you're seeing. Demand is still, and you bring it up, and I don't think anybody recently has brought it up. It's still about demand. You know, things got borked. But the demand never went away. People still want new homes. People still bought new cars. People still figured out how to buy their favorite brands or actually for the first time figured out how to support new brands because of TikTok and Instagram and et cetera. And so I think the amazing thing here is demand and now global demand and the fact that you can get stuff from your phone. So I think that's good to hear that you're still bullish on, on infrastructure and fintech. What are we seeing, and, and I'll give you my anecdote. I was talking to Nikita about this. Yesterday, I went for a ride, and before I got on my bike, Jono, who we just had lunch, was like, Howard, I want to buy Ethereum. It's like Sunday morning, 7 a.m., and I'm like, yeah, it's like below 2,000. I mean, the fact that people on a Sunday morning are trading is, totally. is cool. I don't know if it's right or wrong or whatever. It just is, and the fact that I was golfing yesterday and watching prices and the markets were actually... Uh, probably some kind of capitulation at some point on a Sunday afternoon. Not that we'll know for months on end if that really was some sort of you know first test of a bottom. But it's pretty fascinating that that didn't exist in the United States. You had to wait till Monday and you know, had that dread over the weekend. Now this stuff gets played out in real time. And people around the world can form a bottom. You don't have to wait for Wall Street to decide. Yeah, and I think one other category I would point to that I don't think people have fully... I don't think they fully bundled this concept together, but if you take crypto, DeFi, e-commerce, and gaming and sort of look at what people are doing in Roblox and Fortnite, and you know, I look at my 10-year-old son who seamlessly floats between getting a Roblox gift card, converting it into digital currency within the game, using it for weapons and skins and up-leveling and all kinds like, he is growing up in a completely, I mean, if you asked him today, hey, Mac, would you rather have an Amazon gift card or Roblox gift card? He'd say, I'll take the Roblox gift card all day long. So he is a digital native. The concept of things like NFTs and others, he's like, of course, I'd rather own an NFT than a piece of art I stick on the wall. So I think there's an entire generation of folks that are growing up in this digital economy that we're probably underestimating the purchasing power of that group. And how much, I mean, everybody focuses on the baby boomer generation, a trillion dollars of real estate transferring hands over the next decade. Those are going to be insane generational shifts. But so is this whole TikTok, Snapchat, uh, Roblox generation, because they're just not going to have the friction to spend. Yeah, they're not going to be landlords. They don't want to be landlords. Well, to your point, the Sunday, the Sunday trade. I mean, when I was growing up, you know, you read in the newspaper about stocks and you called your broker and they put in an order and so all the friction is coming out of the system. And I, I just, I think it's going to increase the TAM of a bunch of categories that people don't quite understand. And, um, and then there's this whole, just look at the, you know, 
one of the trends we've bet big on in China, there's 400 million millennials in China. There's more millennials than the entire population of the U.S. That generation is growing up digital native. They're on WeChat. They're on Alibaba. They're on Taobao. They jump to the latest e-commerce phenomenon, the latest gaming phenomenon, the latest trends. They seamlessly spend, they earn, and they don't get caught up in some of the generational norms that their parents did. So I, I think that this this next generation, which is you know around the world probably under thirty, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but in you know emerging economies plus the U.S., it's got to be a population of a billion who are growing up digital native. I think that's a pretty exciting trend to bet on. And I think we're in the very early days. Like, are we counting Roblox skin revenues in our e-commerce numbers? Well, Roblox broke out. Yeah. And so the question is, that is an 8 to 80 brand. And unfortunately, my kids are out of the house and never played. So you have the privilege or um, (laughs) maybe that's not privilege. I don't know how you think about Roblox as just a product. Is it that good a product? I think, uh, yeah, I think it's amazing. Okay. I, I think the whole, I mean, if you look at where kids are spending their time today in this, you know, you don't play the game in the, anymore, you create the game, right? It's Minecraft, Fortnite, Roblox. It, you know, if you have a premium account in any of those, you're not only playing, you're, you're building. But I mean, look at Roblox yesterday, uh, the, uh, earnings up 140%, revenues up 140%, <laughs> DAUs are up 80%, 87% growth in DAUs outside the US. I mean, I'm not even a gamer. I'm not, we don't, we don't invest heavily in the gaming space, but you know, we're an investor in companies like Agora that benefit from the rise of that category. I just think the market at large is undervaluing the digital economy, digital payments, uh, TikTok, you know, Snapchat is, uh, I was listening to a podcast that Kara Swisher did with Evan Spiegel, where he's talking about e-commerce. I'm long snap because I think there'll be a player in e-commerce. So these trends are trends that I think we can kind of see coming, but it's like, you know, it's like a storm. You don't really see it until it's right upon you. I'm not sure people are connecting the dots between all of these different pieces of the puzzle. And I I just think this generation is going to be, they're going to value different things than their parents' generation did. They're they're not going to own a car. They may not place a premium on owning a home, but they're going to spend their money on digital entertainment and digital goods and trips and experiences. And and I think they're going to have a lot of spending power. No, I mean, these are all the trends we've talked about over the three episodes. And so what... Sorry. Yeah, I, go ahead. I just, want to chime, I just want to chime in this with the quote that I read the other day, which somebody was uh, describing to our reactions to technologies. It's this uh, quote by Douglas Adams in The Salmon of Doubt. And he says, anything that is in the world when you're born, it's normal and ordinary, and it's just a natural part of the way the world works. But then anything that's invented between when you are 15 and 35 is new and exciting, and you can probably get a career in it. But then anything that's invented after you're 35 is against the natural order of things. Yeah. And, and I think that's so true, like when we look at from an investment perspective. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. we're not in that Roblox, Minecraft generation, it almost seems like we're grossly underestimating we're grossly underestimating. The great thing about public markets, I get to participate in that one versus the private markets. I don't have an edge. Literally, right. if that was shown to me, I wouldn't understand it. And I think that the reason that holds true is because at, at 55, even though I'm open-minded, there's only so much I can undertake. There's only so much energy I can give to learn a new thing. <laughs> so at some point in the industry, you got to somewhat hang it up. Have you ever thought about that yourself? You're asking me or Nikita? Not that you should, but I am. So I'm wondering, I'm wondering if it's just me, Jeff, or does that go through other people's heads? I, I think, look, you know, it's funny. I, we're, we're having this conversation right after Phil Mickelson wins a major. Wasn't that amazing? Amazing. Incredible. Um, I think, look, one of the things I love to do, I've, I've been investing in a lot of emerging managers. So first-time fund managers that are starting two to $5 million funds, I think they're a great place to bet and get insights as to what some of the younger folks are are seeing and, and picking. But, you know, look, like there are categories that are still in their infancy in terms of being re redeveloped. And I would point to real estate. I mean, Zillow is a $28 billion company, Redfin 6. Open still doors tiny, seven. right? Like I still think those still are still tiny. Tiny. And, I still think Zillow is in my category. In my and then if you think about, it, I literally was reading this article that was saying there's a trillion dollars worth of real estate that's going to transfer from baby boomers to their kids. I mean, that's a lot of buying and selling that's going to take place. And so you can sort of forward predict these trends. And they're not going to put up with going to the trust on a Tuesday night to sign stuff. Like right. this stuff's going to have to get right. fixed. Like my wife just dragged me, we sold a condo. I'm like, why am I here to sign these four things? Like, how is this not done? Yeah, and you look at categories like title insurance and mortgage. And so I believe there's just massive opportunities in these legacy categories around fintech. And 
you know, even if you look at categories like the car category, Carvana came out of nowhere. Nobody thought used cars was that exciting a, an industry to be quote unquote reinvented. And Carvana is a $43 billion company. That's a miss for me. I don't own it. But, you know, who thought you could reinvent it? And I bought a used car on Carvana. It was great. I bought a uh, Toyota 4Runner for my daughter. They rolled up on a truck and it was a great experience. I never had to talk to anybody. <laughs> I never had to walk around a lot, you know, it, it, so there's still think so much that. opportunity. Car, uh, Carvana as something for kids' first car is just so much better than going with your kid to buy it's a so new car. so much better. That's interesting. I didn't even, so, I don't so think I, about the used I car. You're right. That's an interesting thing. You've got physical world, trillion dollar categories that are still in their infancy of being reinvented. And then you've got this whole rise of digital. And then you've got, you know, look at Nike. What are they now? 40% of their uh, revenue is, is e-commerce up from 10%, something like a few years ago. Yeah. That whole revolution of B2B companies. I mean, Nike used to ship pallets of shoes to Foot Locker and Foot Locker sold the shoes to consumers. Now they're selling direct to consumer. And that whole shift of Nike and Revlon and L'Oreal and all these other brands, Unilever and P&G and Pepsi, all trying to go from pallet shippers to shipping one-offs to consumers the technology spend that they have to undergo to do that, the the platforms like Sunk Big Commerce and Shopify benefit, yeah. the customer care platforms benefit, the the uh, I mean, they have to build all this new functionality to become D2C companies or they'll go out of business. And I think for all of them, it's become clear that it's a life or death bet. If you don't bet on technology, you will die, right? And you've, you've seen companies like GE and others that were slow on that and are dying. And so they've all gotten religion around the fact that they've got to invest aggressively in technology that is flowing into the cloud players. And I just don't, I don't know. I, I'd be hard pressed for somebody to present the bear case for me on that. Like what, it, what, what stops that trend over the next five to 10 years? Well, there's no bear case other than price, right? The only bear case is what is the public willing to bear as a VC, you are investing in tech as someone who is watching markets. I'm like, well, you know, prices do matter. And tech is inevitable, but prices can fuck with a decade, you know? So, mm -hmm. so there's times like March where everything aligns, tech was coming and you, you nailed it. It's like, well, tech's coming, so better time to buy when prices are low. But now it's like, we know tech is coming. It's a consensus thing. Every, like you just said, you're going from pallets to shipping to one. So that's all a foregone conclusion. But now prices kind of have factored all that in. I think the point is you're saying is you can't control the other. You can't control the prices and everything else. You can only control investing in the future. Yeah, and I think the uh, I was interesting. I had a, I was talking to uh, I think you know Brad Gerstner from Altimeter. I was talking to him a few weeks ago about the challenges that hedge fund managers have to hit numbers throughout you know the course of a year. And as an individual investor, we have the luxury of just buying something and owning it. I don't have to. Nobody calls me and says, hey, why is the account down 30% from January? I look at it and I say, well, gee, you know, I still like all these names. Do I want to double up on any of the ones that I really like? Because I believe the five to 10 year horizon is positive. I think a, a, a large part of the market moves based on that unnatural behavior. And you have to sort of remove yourself from that and ask yourself, do I think, you know, I like Smartsheet? Do I think Smartsheet or Twilio or Snowflake or do I think these companies are going to be bigger companies, more successful, more profitable in five years than they are today? My answer is yes. Then I look at it and say, well, okay, what if the multiple compresses from 20 to 10? You know, is that a risk I'm willing to take? Um, and right now, I think what you've seen is uncertainty around government, right? New president comes in, proposes higher tax rates, more government spending. So there's a little bit of uncertainty. I personally did not like Donald Trump, but at least you knew where he stood. He wanted the market to go up. <laughs> You're right. I think we don't quite know. But he's still fuck with we it. We don't quite know where the Biden administration falls. But I know. Here's where, here's where it goes back to Trump. You knew where he stood. He still was his own worst. He still didn't mind closing oh, the government totally. to bring down the market. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's what I hated the most. No, so I, a great I, I point, don't. but we're still better So, so you, you introduce uncertainty, and then you have the prospect of inflation and rising rates, and that spooks everybody. And then, you know, I was talking to a, a banker at a top firm and he said, look, the other thing is a lot of hedge funds were up 10, 15, 20% in Q1. And so a lot of them said, you know what, I'm going to hedge my book and take my shifts off the table and we'll see how things play out. So there weren't any buyers in March, April, May. There were a lot of sellers and hedgers. There weren't a lot of buyers, maybe other than Kathy Wood. <laughs> right. 
But she and had so a buy. Money think, comes in, and she unfortunately yeah, had she's, a buy. She's she a got, buyer. Yeah. So really so good point. I, I think it, it was a little bit. I don't think it was. It, the point is, it wasn't tied to earnings. It was tied to multiple compression, people taking risk off. But if you're an individual investor, which I would imagine a lot of the folks who listen to your podcast are, yeah. you have the luxury of nobody gets to audit your performance for the year except for yourself. And you can just say, you know what? I love QQQ. I love Twilio. I love Snowflake. I want to own more of that over the next five years. Do they have a great CEO? They have a great management team. Are they in a good position in, a, in an industry that's got a tailwind for change? And that's a, that's a great position because there is no point in history where that has not worked out, Right buying and owning great companies over some period of time, you could be down for 12, 24, 36 months. But at some point, if you own Salesforce, it made a comeback or Google or Amazon. And so as an individual investor, you have that luxury. And I just think that's the most important thing to pass along people when things get volatile and things get scary. You know, so if you need to, you can sell, but double down on the names that you like and own them for the long run. Yeah. I mean, the big point here is what I try and tell people too. And is it's hard if you're being performance- monitored because it makes you do stupid things. That's the opportunity that regular investors mm-hmm. have with the snowflakes. Now I get asked every day about snowflake because, Oh, the chart looks bad. I go, well, the chart's supposed to look bad when things are about to turn up. The charts of value stocks, you know, God forbid it lasts 14 year bear market growth, but like value stocks gap looked dead and left it as a six bagger off the bottom. Not that people, I mean, to me, that's not a growth stock. So it's like, I'll never catch that. But you have the benefit as being an individual investor to buy great companies and not worry about exactly what the chart looks like because that's how the great returns are made. And uh, well, I think we have, and I think we have the benefit as venture capital investors of taking, you know, our funds are 10 year life. So we're, we're sort of programmed to invest thematically, pick a theme or an idea that we think is going to grow like e-commerce or telemedicine or cloud, and then go find the absolute best founders in those categories that we can find. And, and load up the truck, you know, when we'll invest in the A and the B and the C and the D. So we're literally, most of our companies, we're investing over a three, four, five-year period and doubling down as we go. And I think the market has rewarded that. The public market has rewarded that for the last 10 to 15 years. Now, will it going forward? Could we have global disruption and higher interest rates and a flat market or a down market or an economy that's challenged? Probably. Uh, I just, you know, ideally as an individual investor, you've got enough cash to ride that out. And and when we see market dips like we did in March of last year, you're, you have conviction to go in and, and buy more. And so crypto, have you guys dedicated any capital to that yet or just personal? Uh, mostly personal at this point. We, we made a few investments. We were lucky to be an investor in Coinbase. Uh, right. And that has been, a, has been a great, great outcome. And, you know, obviously just an incredible company. Um, you know, I would say for us, like a lot of larger funds, our current fund is $2.5 billion. Uh, a lot of our larger LPs, which are big pension funds, big endowments, have not yet gotten comfortable with crypto uh, to the point where they're ready to invest it at, at scale. And so we've not we, we've not done anything at scale. We've made some individual investments, some personal investments. I'm lucky to be an investor in a couple of different funds that are in the crypto space. And, um, I, you know, on a personal level, I'm yeah. super bullish. We have, a, we have a crypto channel in Slack and I'm... <laughs> Uh, you know, some days it's like crickets. I'm posting articles for myself, but I think we all believe that there's something there. And the concept behind decentralized finance, the underlying technology with Bitcoin and Ethereum just makes too much sense. Now that you you have four kids, so gaming, obviously, what are the kids post COVID? How do you think their behavior is going to change once they're allowed to just go back out and hang with their friends? Well, we're seeing that. Just in the last month or so, as my two older uh, girls have, have been vaccinated, they've been doing more with their friends. You know, it's funny. I, <laughs> I'm a, obviously, I'm a heavy investor in technology, and I'm a big believer in e-commerce and social media and all these other apps. But, you know, on a human psychological level, there's nothing like being in person with someone. And by the way, without a mask on, I, I think masks, we underestimate the cognitive load that wearing a mask and talking to somebody has. Um, so I'm pretty excited. I think the rest of this year is going to be, I think the economy is going to boom. You know, if you just look at the forecasts from Goldman and others, it's six to 8% GDP growth. We've never seen six to 8% GDP growth in our lifetime in the U S we've seen it in China, but we've never seen it in the U S. So we almost don't know how to comprehend what that's going to look like. I'm super bullish on small business. I think, I think downtowns, we have a main street here in Pleasanton that's been booming for the last few weeks. 
I'm really bullish on small business. I think we had a you know a devastating wipeout for small businesses in our country last year in Q2 and Q3 and Q4. We probably lost you know hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of businesses. But they're going to be replaced with even better companies started by younger entrepreneurs with better technology. Those Main Street you know shops that went out of business are going to be replaced with something else. Um, so I'm I'm pretty bullish on SMB. We've been betting on a bunch of SMB tech companies. Obviously, Square is like the OG of SMB tech, but we've mm. got companies like Brightwheel and, and Electric, and you know I'm on the board of Big Commerce, which is in that space. So I, I am the data and trends that we're seeing around SMB are are very encouraging. Uh, in fact, I'm investing in a company right now that's in that space, and the founder told me they saw more hiring in April than they've ever seen in any single month in the company's history. Not not on their behalf, but on their customers' behalf. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm I'm pretty bullish on on SMB. I think that SMBs are going to be a big beneficiary of the economic rebound here in in our country. And then yeah, I think this younger generation is going to drive a lot of it. I think a lot of it's going to be digital. So you know, belong Roblox, belong Square, belong PayPal. Uh, you know, Amazon's going to benefit. Google's going to benefit. Snapchat's going to benefit. Um, I don't know. I, I you know, we have some broader systemic issues around inequality and income gaps and things like that in our country. But um, there's a lot of reasons to be positive. You know, I, I wish I wish more of the media narrative was around the positive and less was around the negative. I think the negative is often attached to a political agenda. Yep. People want you to believe that things are worse than they are so they can get policies enacted or or things pushed through that will benefit some demographic or group that's lobbying them on their behalf. But the reality is, um, you know, I was talking to one of the merchants in our, in our town, one of the restaurateurs, and he said, he said, Jeff, you know, I'm, I'm glad we got the PPP loan. It helped us bridge through a time where we would have gone out of business. He said, but I'll tell you the last 30 days, we've never been better. We've mm-hmm. got outdoor dining. We've got people doing pickup and delivery. We're engaged on all the mobile apps where we weren't a year ago. So I, I don't know, it just gives me a lot of reasons to be positive about where we could head with SMBs. Um, and then, you know, that'll, that'll be good for, for kids who want to get a job, right? All these restaurateurs need to hire kids who come in and be hostesses and, and, uh, and servers and things like that. So I'm, I'm, um, no, I've yeah. wanted to be in the comedy you can't business. Be, for- you have to be positive to be, uh, to be a venture capitalist, as you know. No, but, but uh, SMB, I'm the same way. I'm thinking myself more SMB is like, I've always, you know, I'm in some comedy apps and it's been a horrific business no matter physical, digital, whatever. What I don't know what it is about comedy. It's just like a license to lose money. It's like golf, the license to lose money. Um, <laughs> unless you're Phil or Tiger or, you know, one of the top golfers. By the way, the golf industry boomed last year. Boom. I'm so bullish on golf. Most, most rounds of golf ever played in the U.S. last I'm year. So bu- the tech is so good. I'm so uncoordinated. And this, the new TaylorMade, uh, whatever, the number two, whatever it's called, it's just a miracle club. It just like the NASDAQ has been so good to the golf industry, right? Like, but I was going to say SMB is like even myself because comedy is so bad. But now there's an opportunity to get in the, like you go buy a club and these comedians still, they're going to have so much material and there's, people are going to want to be entertained and you can go buy a building for nothing and, and, and get involved in any industry right now, whether it's opening your, you know, a restaurant because location almost doesn't matter because you don't have the tools to market to your audience, wherever they be, and making an experience. And we just had the Watchbox guys on, where it's combining like uh, training of watches and combining with physical, like the hybrid model. The hybrid models are going to be huge too, coming out of this. Amazing. I, I'm so bull. I, I think you're going to see entrepreneurs. They're going to open physical storefronts. Yep. They're going to have membership programs. They're going to have loyalty programs. They're going to have engagement on social media. Yep. Like the next generation of entrepreneurs using Snap and TikTok, and it, it's going to be. And, and think about it today. Anybody opening a new business today is going to build it around technology. Nobody's going to start a restaurant or a laundromat or a hair salon without some technology component to their business. Uh, and so I, I just think we're going to see a, you know, and that's not only good for the SMB tech economy, but it's good for the businesses, right? They're going to be, they're going to be more profitable. They're going to generate more revenue per customer. They're going to be better at engaging them outside of their storefront. So I, I'm, I, I hate the fact that we had so many businesses go out of business during COVID, but I'm bullish on the rebound. Which city do you miss the most and where are you excited to go see? I love New York. I mean, I, I love, there's no place better, you know, Soho in spring or, so, and I haven't been there for what, over a year now. Uh, mm-hmm. I love New York. I love Shanghai. Um, Singapore, when it's not too hot, is a great, is a great place to be. Um, so I, I, 
yeah, we have not gotten to travel much over the last year, which is crazy for me because prior to COVID, I was traveling 230,000 miles a year. I've been a, you know, I've been a United uh, Global Services member for a decade, and it was awkward to to not fly that much last year. But I will say, it was it was great to be able to spend time with my family and my kids. And you know, I tell everybody the story in March of last year when things really hit the fan, and I walked uh, walked 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 downstairs and. Everybody was sitting there doing school on Zoom. And I said, what do you guys do around here during the day? <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, but that habit in New York, the places that I'm going to New York next week. So I'm, and, and, and the thing is I'll oh, treat myself. Yeah, yeah. And I'll treat myself like before I would like, I won't pay more than $300. I'm an Ambien away for every bed's the same with an Ambien <laughs> to like, fuck that. Like I'm going to pay up and, you know, go to the next level. The question though is you just don't need to travel as much. Would you agree there or are you saying you'll get back? To I agree hundred percent. I yeah. think um, for things like for us, board meetings, you know, hundred percent of the board meetings I did were in person, whether it was in Singapore or New York or San Francisco, I think that's going to change. I think the entrepreneurs have gotten religion around the idea that they can host a great board meeting virtually. I mean, part of it now is a lot of the management teams aren't, aren't even in the same office anymore. So coming together isn't, isn't that valuable. I, 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 I do wonder you know, I'm, I'm not as, I, I think in the enterprise technology space, you know, if you're a sales exec and you're trying to close a million dollar customer, up. you're going to be there in person. You better. So I think the hand-to-hand combat, yeah, yeah, I think the hand-to-hand combat will go back. I've been doing meetings with entrepreneurs in person for several months now. I've been hosting folks at my house or meeting them at a coffee shop um, because I just, you, you know, can't win I, over I really, Zoom long-term being a VC. You do have to show and up. And you want to build that personal relationship with somebody, impossible. right? If you're going to put 20 or 30 or $40 million into their company and back them yep. for the next decade, you want to have that personal connection. Uh, and you want them to feel that same personal connection to you. So I think there's certain elements of business where you know it's just the people element doesn't go away. But I, I do agree some of the frivolous travel will go away. And, um, and I think it's a positive. I think it's a net positive. If we can have le- le- less traffic you know, less congestion, less pollution. I think it's good for everyone. I think the trick will be um, managing it. We'll be managing it. How to say and, no and how to say yes. It's yeah. a more of an art than ever because I haven't been able to pull the trigger. I was telling the kid, I mean, if you look at the data, so your data will be different than mine data. I could not pull the trigger over Zoom. So I was actively engaged, but not to the point where I could follow up. And I didn't understand the dynamics of Zoom investing. Obviously for follow-on, that's different, but like truly writing a seed check, I failed. And I don't know if it's a failure yet, maybe I'll look like a genius because uh, everything doesn't work that was started over Zoom as a startup. But I just thought, uh, I, I just didn't get into the habit of it. And now, you know, it feels like it's like getting back on my bike. So I don't know if you can do this over Zoom, I think the best investors could still have to do face to face to close the right deals at the right. But maybe I'm wrong. Did you write a lot of checks over Zoom in the end? We did. We invested almost a billion dollars last year. It was first time checks. Zoom. I'm not talking follow on. Like first true. Mm, I would bet half of it was first time. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. Ha- you I mean half as is, much you know, as before, but, or uh, half of? No, no, no. That was still the most we've ever invested. But part right. of that also is, you know, we've been operating globally as a firm over Zoom for 20 years. So not, not on Zoom, but I mean, we've been investing globally, virtually for, for 20 years. So I think we were pretty comfortable with the idea that we could be talking to an entrepreneur in India from San Francisco with the team in China and make an investment. Um, I do think a lot of it is going to go back to in person, just because if you're going to have that kind of long-term relationship with people, you want to meet them in person. But uh, you know, we, we very quickly realized that that was going to be part of the equation. If we wanted to invest in the best entrepreneurs, we needed to be able to do it virtually. And, and we embraced it and, and, uh, and did it pretty aggressively. Nikita, you have any questions? I know it was fun for you to listen, you're saying, but as you get your uh, tailwinds here, you've been following them for a while and listening into the podcast. What's the best way, Nikita, or, or to stay up to date? And if you're interested in BC, do you think after doing this now for a year? Well, I think podcasts for sure work. And I've also listened to some of the live uh, webcasts that uh, GGV has hosted. I think oh, So they're doing live ones now too? You're doing live stuff, Jeff? Yeah, it's been fun. A lot of the stuff we used to do for small groups of people, you know, 10 or 20 in person, we're now doing digitally and we're getting hundreds of people. And it's, it's been great. It's been awesome. You know, I feel like at some level, we should all open source the thought leadership and the learnings and the training and the ideas that have been behind closed doors and push it out to as many people as possible. So that, that's been, we just had a conversation about this last week with our platform services team where we said, hey, when we go back to in person, are we going to try and do a lot of these events in person? And we said, you know what? 
we're going to do both. We're going to do in person because it's great. There's nothing better than having dinner with 20 people and getting to share ideas. But why wouldn't we share that content and that experience with 200 people if we can? Yeah, it's amazing. And then uh, just to wrap up, because we're both golfers, the uh, Mickelson thing, that's just such an incredible record uh, at 51. I think what was so inspiring too was, do you, I mean, you've played enough golf. Do you know how hard it was to maintain his composure on the last four or five holes? I mean, think about the emotions. The tr- I mean, this guy's been playing competitively since he was whatever, five years old, but like all the work and time and effort. I mean, if you followed the whole story, he changed his diet, changed his workout, changed his swing. I mean, all the work that he's put in over the years. And then you've got this massive crowd of people. I mean, on 18, they were barely letting him walk through. Think about it. Walking up and hitting an but eight also iron. the marketing. He's chewing fucking CBD. He knew he was on TV. He's chewing I CBD. No, but just, he's, I mean. It was a walking billboard on that nine iron. He's like got gum in his mouth. Which but is think CBD. about how hard it is hitting a tee shot at a member guest. And this guy's playing in front of like 50,000 people. It was, it was just intense. It was intense. But I really, TV makes you look heavier for one thing. And I know this because I see <laughs> Rom all the time and he's a big boy, but on TV he looks ginormous. So you know, like he that's a big, yeah. first-hand experience of seeing him standing next to me a week, a day before I see him at the Masters. I go, wow, TV does add 20 pounds. So to see Mickelson, who's always been chubby with the moves and everything, and to see him pretty thin, the transformation is pretty fascinating at 51. So it's pretty Incredible. amazing that the tiger with all his problems and just the competitiveness of young golfers and the, and the power and you're supposed to lose your touch in your 50. I know I have my hand shake just uh, podcasting the um, <laughs> so right. Like, like around the green, I'm a fucking basket case. So also the think about it is, is there some, there's something in the water, right? I mean, Tom Brady wins the super bowl at what is he? 44 or something or 45. Yeah. I don't know. The, the, I, I think we're underestimating, you know, diet, exercise, people sort of lament. You don't have to blood dope. Like there's, even if they are blood dope no. and stem cell stuff in football, healthier. people are doing it in a naturopathic, but they're yeah. getting healthier. If you want to be healthy, you can be healthier than you've ever been. And I, that I, is what to I was trying to get to, you know, yeah, the, yeah. The, the, the craze around this, like to see, cause I'm the healthiest I've ever been, even though I don't eat well, cause I can ride 50 and play golf and stretch and do all that stuff. So it really was amazing to watch, but I think that's going to be the other big change in demand. And what if this whole work from home thing enables people to be healthier, eat less fast food, travel less, spend less time commuting. You know, what if, what if some percentage of the population is able to dedicate a portion of their day to a mental health, spending more time with their kids and family and B you know, physical exercise, that would be a great thing for our economy. I mean, it would just from a healthcare expenditure standpoint, we would look back at COVID and say, oh my God, we didn't see this coming, but the country got healthier. That would be pretty cool. Yeah. For me, it is. I have a yoga mat unraveled in my house and I pass it 20 times a day. Whereas before I'd pass it twice a day. (laughs) So now I'm doing five minutes of stretching three times a day. No, but it's true that other people have struggled. I know some people have put on, what do you call it? The COVID 30 canute. And so you've never seen a yoga mat that you've stopped for. But I feel like there's this big trend when you see, and Phil got it right. I know we're dating ourselves here. So, but his speech was pretty, I mean, the guy is a master manipulator because his speech was dead on too. It was like so well orchestrated. It was like, oh, I hope this inspires other 50 year olds because that's kind of what it does anyways, whether he's doing it for effect or not. It's pretty damn interesting. Well, there's a reason he makes, what, $65 million a year in endorsements? You think there's any endorsements coming around to the middle-aged men? <laughs> what's his name? The other guy I just mean, starts ringing off. The, the big guy, the guy who hits it long, what's his name? Uh, Kripka? Yeah. No, the other one. Uh, oh, mental case um, with the same clubs and everything. Why yeah, am I having, yeah. a, I'm having a brain fart? But anyways, uh, DeChambeau. He literally DeChambeau, just comes on and yeah. goes, hey, I'd like to thank, and he just lists 30 sponsors on every interview that he does. So the, it's yeah. pretty interesting that the athletes have gotten into this, right? Like they are walking billboards and uh, there's an opportunity for young brands everywhere. We've seen it with Whoop. Yeah. Like they got Rory McDowell. They went global. Like Rory McDowell like is not a backable guy. Yeah. But under Whoop, you know, where he's a global brand and the data and, you know, his heart rate, it was an interesting, probably cheap Way and a win win way because Rory is probably interested in seeing as you know, it's a really interesting novel way for a young brand 
to get in front of people. This is the other side of COVID. We, we've been, the media have been reluctant to talk about the fact that the majority of deaths in COVID in folks who were under the age of 65 were for people who had pre-existing conditions or were Heavy. morbidly obese or overweight. And so at some point there will be studies that will come out that will talk about this and you know, we will have further reason to try and get people and companies and others to invest in physical well-being of their of their people. And I, I just think that's a trend that I hope, you know, it, it was it started with sort of Fitbit and Peloton and whoop. But like if we can get that going and then you've got the call map and other things that help people deal with their lives. I mean, if if all of that, if technology and post pandemic, that's one of the outcomes, that would be a that would be a huge one. Thing. Huge one. The fast yeah. food even McDonald's, I hate to say it, the fucking product's great. I know it's gross, <laughs> but it's amazing that I could just pull up. The sound quality is amazing. It's not like the Snoopy thing. Like, they read my order. I'm not with you there. No, I'm it's good phenomenal. for like an annual egg McMuffin. That's about Ooh, it. That's oh gross. But just get a breakfast burrito and just say Howard sent you. Uh. And their coffee's better than Starbucks at a fraction of the price. Their coffee's like, good. Yeah, but you can get the egg white. You can get the egg white turkey bacon sandwich at Starbucks and the McDonald's. You're you're doing with something that's not nearly as healthy. So, all right, I am going to let you go. Well, thanks for having me on, guys. It's always fun. All right, man. Have a great summer. You too. Take care. Take care. So, uh, not you can't. He's unwavering. Eh? Yeah. I think the lesson here is: if you snooze, you lose. Like the world's not going to stand still. People are writing checks. I may joke about this and like say the prices are this and prices are that, but there's people willing to write those checks. Yeah. And the entry price, man, <laughs> you can't slow down. So you gotta, you gotta be busting. Yeah. And you see it with us. Like you just got to like hammer because someone else is knocking on the door to do that deal. Yeah. So you've got to stay up on all this stuff. So that's who you're competing against. Uh, people will joke because things correct, but they there's people out there making these 10, 20 year bets that uh, yeah, like are great. Yeah, like a billion dollars in 2020. That's gonna That's come crazy. home to roost. There's, yeah. there's innovation happening behind the scenes. All yeah. right, you are listening to Panic with Friends. That was Jeff Richards, a great VC. Every Thursday we sit with uh, entrepreneurs, founders, venture capitalists trying to get a little bit ahead of the curve. Uh, you can find us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts. Just search my name, Howard Lindzen. Subscribe. You'll get one sent to you every week. You won't have to find us. And thanks for tuning in, everybody. Knut, Nikita, thanks. Thank you. Thank See you. you.